Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope, with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. Today, Pastor Ralph continues with his message, Focusing on God's Peace. And now with part two, here's Pastor Ralph. Wrapping up this uh, series of teaching that I've called From Panic to Power, uh, Moving from Despair to Destiny. So we're talking about something that's spiritual, something that's powerful, something that taps into the miraculous as we learn to exchange the fears and the worries and the obsessions we have for faith in God who matters, who changes things, who intervenes in our life. And that's what's being offered to us as, as we're here. But we're learning to, to refocus. I'm focused on this. I'm changing. I'm fixing my thoughts on what God can do. And we'll go from there. Does that make sense? And then it goes on and it says, that may, let everyone know that you're considerate in all you do. It goes on in, in verse 6, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all what, that he has done. Now, here's this, this exchange. Don't worry about anything. Easier said than done. I just won't worry. <laughs> so what do you do? You exchange worry for these three things. It says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. The second thing you do is you pray about it. God, I need some money and need it in a hurry. <laughs> and I think what you also don't do is set boundaries. God, you have to do this this way. Because God sometimes has, you know, lots of options and we've we got one in our mind and we fixate on that. And so you, you, you start to worship God over your problems. You start to pray through your problems. And the last thing it says is be thankful. Or, you know, giving thanks for all he has done. I'm thanking the Lord what I like to do is, is the memorable things in my life that he has done. The real jams he got me out of. Well, let's go a little further. What do you fix your thoughts on? See, in the first part of verse 8, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right? It goes on and on. But just the, the, the idea, fix your thoughts. Take inventory, is literally what it's saying. Take inventory of, of the good possibilities. Take inventory of right outcomes. See, what we do is we, we start to, to, to get in a jam and we take inventory, all right, but we take inventory of all the things that could possibly go wrong. And then we mentally go down those paths and they usually end up in despair and loss and destruction. You know, you can take yourself from having some minor financial crisis into worrying that you're going to lose your job and worrying that you're going to lose your house and then worrying that you're going to lose your family and then, and then if Satan has his way, he's going to be whispering in your ear and you might as well go ahead and kill yourself now instead of later. You know, fix your thoughts on right outcomes. Focus your attention on, on what God can do if he's given a chance. Does this make sense to you? Here's the best thing that you can do in that situation. Ask the Holy Spirit, speak to me, and tell me what you would like to see happen in the midst of this, so I can pray that back to you. You tell me what you're looking for, and I'm going to pray that back to you. And I'm going to focus, if I'm going to obsess, I'm going to obsess on those things. Now see, this is not positive thinking. This is interacting with God in faith, asking God to reveal the possibilities and then begin to pursue those in your prayers, in your thoughts, in your obsessions, if, if need be. The next verse says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You be changed from the inside out by God teaching you how to think. You know, that's why we're sitting here in church this morning. That's why you read your Bible. See, I want to read this book because it changes the way I think. God's teaching me how to think. Why do you come to church? So God won't get mad at you? Get brownie points in heaven? 
No, you come to church to learn how to think. It says, be, be transformed through the renewing of your mind. God's word will change you. You know, I, you need it. You need to have the constant refreshing and renewing. Paul goes on in that same passage, and he says, and we talked about this last week a little bit, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And in Hawaii, we're really good at that. Oh, yeah, I don't want no pride. But see, we get prideful over not having pride. We live in such a shame culture. I grew up in Oregon. It's a guilt culture. It's very different. But see, we, that's, that's a certain kind of pride in its whole self. Is we're prideful about sitting back and not, having, not, not acting boastful. God says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And then he starts asking questions. What are you good at? What did I make you good at? What are spiritual gifts? And, and see, watch, you present your body to God like a coach. And now he's saying, don't think yourself too hot over here. But what are you really good at? Let's get that and develop it. Let's make this life turn into something really worth living. Let God teach you. If, you, if you're a person who grew up in shame, you'll never volunteer for anything. You always think that you've got to be third rate. And you let God teach you how to think because he wants to put good stuff in front of you in terms not just of what you think, but what happens in your life. Am I getting anywhere with this? Are you there? Well, he goes on, he says, let's think about things. Take an inventory of these things. What is true and honorable? And, and it really just means, you know, what is honest? Think about honesty and, and honesty prevailing. Think about your own life, the times that you have a chance to cheat on something or, or to lie your way out of something. Think about instead of doing that, being honest and being straight and trusting God that if I go ahead and, and be honest and fess up and take the heat, God's going to turn the ugly thing that might happen here into something good. It goes on and says, think about what is right. And the word right means equitable, fair, on balance. Think about things turning out equitably. Think about things turning out fairly. You know, you're in some situation at work and office politics are about to sink your ship. Well, as you lay awake and think about it, you start to focus on God turning it out right so that things come into balance and that fairness prevails. And you begin to not just thinking that positive thinking will make a difference. No, you're praying, you're trusting, you're entrusting yourself to God. You're touching the hem of his coat, expecting God to do something good and making something right come out of something that's potentially wrong or very wrong. He goes on, he says, think about things that are pure. Now the word purity is an is a, is a interesting word to me because we always think of something as pure as, as you know, being kind of holy or sometimes it's, it's, it's beyond us or whatever. And, and in fact, the word here actually has to do with sexual purity. It, it, it means things that are, that, are, that, are, that are chaste, things that are modest. There's a certain kind of a righteousness there. And what he's actually saying is, you know, don't sit around and go to seed on lust. But he also is saying, don't put yourself in a behavior pattern that causes lust to come out of other people. You know, sometimes we, we, we you know, I, I know, you know, you talk to guys that are locked up in pornography. I don't know a single man that says, I'm into pornography and I enjoy it. Anybody who's, who's, who's struggling with pornography is struggling with pornography. They're struggling. It's a, it's a bondage. It's a prison to them. They're not liking it. It's an addiction. Does that make sense? But it, it's saying something of our society here. The, the words would mean innocent, modest, chaste, clean. You know, there, there's just a whole lot. We, use, we sell soap with sex. People act flirtatious. 
People flaunt their bodies. Both sexes do this. And we set people up for difficulty. And he's saying, don't you be like that. Don't be like that kind of a person. And, and don't focus your mind on that kind of stuff. You know, I, I had a friend once in California, he was struggling because he was lusting after another man's wife in the church. And we talked it through and, 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 and he made a decision. He knew what he was going to do. He went to the guy and said, you know, I, I told the pastor about this and I'm telling you about this. I don't want anybody else to know about it. I'm struggling. They were friends. I have this struggle. There's this woman I'm, I'm, I'm just lusting after and I need, need to be held accountable. But the reason that I came to tell you is it's your wife. And I want you to be able to look me in the eye and say, how are you doing? And I'll know that I can't lie to you. <laughs> That's good, huh? That's a good down payment. But you know where else he took it? He said that, that he, he began to pray for that family every time that Satan would bombard him with those lustful thoughts. See, you can't go to neutral. You know, you see something, you, you, you know, some of these pictures, usually the pictures that I got on the screen, I go to Google and then the images and I type in Winston Churchill, you know, and in the midst of it, some sex pot comes up, you know, and, and, and you, you can look through 400 images, but there's always going to be something. You have a choice to make. Am I going to sit here and focus on this or am I just going to move on? You move on. But sometimes there's this, it overhangs, you know, it's, it, it stays with you. What do you do? I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. You know? What are you thinking about? So my friend, you know what he said? He said, every time that I started to have any feelings toward that woman, I would begin to pray for God's blessing on her and her husband. And then he came back to me later on. He said, I, I, I learned something by this. I learned that any time I had any kind, I mean, because you know what lustful thoughts are, is I'd like to take advantage of your body. Nobody ever heard about that, huh? <laughs> It's so funny when you're a pastor. You find that certain subjects, that as soon as you, you bring them up, everybody in church acts like they never heard of that before in their life. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, when you have lustful thoughts, you're thinking about you would like to take advantage of somebody for your pleasure and you don't really care too much about them. And the guy said, I learned every time I started to have those feelings, if it was a picture... To pray for God's best for that other person. No, it's exactly what it's saying about here. Fix your thoughts not on that, on this. And interact with God in the process. And something good is going to happen to you. This is good, huh? Well, these people over here are all Christians. <laughs> he goes and says, think about things that are lovely. And, you know, to me, as a man, I see words like lovely and I just... It's, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, lovely. You know, that's, that's, I, that's, I, I bought my wife a, a lovely Mother's Day card. And it was a really nice one. I worked really hard to pick it out. But you know what? If she bought the same card to me and it said Father's Day on it, I wouldn't like it. She loves it, but I wouldn't like it. Yeah. Well, what does lovely mean? Well, you, you get into it, really, in the translators. You know, in translation, there's always choices you make. You're trying to express the thought in the original language. And so you kind of wonder, was this a man or a woman that was involved in this translation of this part here? Because the word lovely means friendly toward you or acceptable toward you. Fix your thoughts on outcomes that are friendly toward you. You know, do you really think that God wants you to go out and make a profit in that business of yours? Or to get a pay raise? 
Or does God want you to be able to buy that house or that first condo? Because a lovely thought is a thought that's acceptable toward you. It's a friendly toward you situation. This is going to turn out the way you know I want it to. I talked to a couple this morning that, that they, they've, they've been looking for houses and looking for houses and they're in escrow. So they came to church this morning, we think we got a house. And then they go, we're in escrow. So what do you do? You sit around at night and go, we're probably not going to get it. Something will come up. Finance company will find something. There will be some crazy thing on our credit report that doesn't even belong there. And it will ruin the whole deal. We won't ever get a house. We might as well go live under a tree anyway. You know? <laughs> huh? That's what we do. It says, think on things that, that, that are acceptable to you. Start, to, start to, to, to begin to pray toward outcomes that are the things that you want to have happen because God will do those kind of things. It goes on and says, to think about things that are admirable. Admirable. You know, look at that picture. Hokulea, I think. There's a couple other boats that look like it. But just think about the trip that those guys took, the trips that they've taken. The navigation by the stars, the survival at sea. You know, admirable people doing admirable things. Well, look for, for outcomes that are, that are it, reputable outcomes. Everybody's reputation would be enhanced if this thing works right. You know, win-win situations. God's going to bless everybody that's involved. Think about things like that. Think about things that are excellent. I put a picture of, of a guy up there surfing a wave that I would never attempt. Excellent. Excellent. You know what it, what it gets down to? Things that are, are, that are of manliness or of valor. Manly things. Courageous things. There's a lady that came to church last night and she said, you know, we've been praying and praying and praying for, for the guys in Afghanistan. There's a little core of us that are praying. My husband's over there. There's a bunch of people from the, the Marine base here. And we've been praying for these guys. And I, I got a phone call from my husband this morning that, that they, they, they got word that there was a rocket attack. Somebody snitched. There was a rocket attack. There was, there was timers on these devices so that when the rockets came inbound, we couldn't go back out and kill the guys that were out there. And there were timers on these devices. And these things were, were, were coming at the base where they were. And all of a sudden, you got these guys uh, going across third world roads. You know, if you know what that's all about, if you've ever been out of this country, you just got to go as far as Mexico to figure out just driving fast is dangerous if there's no explosives on the side of the road. And they're going over 100 miles an hour in the dark going to this place, and they got GPS and all that, and it gets them to the place where the thing is going to be, and they get there, and, and five minutes they're left on the timing, and they saved lives. They saved lives. But they, but they endangered themselves to save others. And so when we look at this word excellence, it's talking about you pushing things right over the top. And good things happening as a result of it. That we should f focus our mind on those kind of things. Things that are worthy of praise. You know, that's a picture of, of the, the Honolulu skyline from, you know, out in the waves in Waikiki. And, and when it says worthy of praise, you know, worthy of honor, commendable. You know, our city is something to be proud of. Do you agree? I mean, you know, we got potholes, but they'll fix them. <laughs> We got Waikiki looking like a place that tourists would want to go again. It's a great place. It's a great place to live. It's one of the, 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 the other than the high cost of living, it's one of the best places in the world. People live longer in Honolulu than they do in the rest of the United States. Did you know that? You'll live longer by living here. 
You go around the world and people just suck up to you because you're from Honolulu. Huh? I remember one time when I, I, I do this everywhere I go. If, I, if I'm having a hard time getting through something, I just mention that I'm from, oh, I'm all the way from Hawaii and you're going to treat me like that? Uh, once, once we were, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, 60 miles from Timberline Lodge in Mount Hood. And one August I took my family there on vacation and, and it, the, there's year-round skiing at that place. There's a glacier and the sun doesn't hit the, the glacier, and so the whole rest of the mountain is just a mountain, but in, in August, it's, there's, you can ski. So you can take the chairlift up, and you can either ski down, or you can just walk down this other ridge, and so we were going to do that, just walk down, and we get there, and it's the end of the day, and there's like, this just kills me. I mean, customer service things just drive me insane. You know, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. I go to the grocery store, and they got big, long, fat lines and empty cash registers. I just park my little cart of groceries and figure they can put the stuff away. I'm going away, you know. And my wife's going, honey, you're a pastor. Somebody's going to see you. <laughs> you know, I get this stuff mostly right, but I'm human too, right? So I go up there, and it's like, there's like 11 people left in the line, but it's now 4.30, and the sign comes down, closed. We've been waiting here for half an hour, and all of a sudden, closed. And so I go, what? I came all the way from Honolulu and brought my children and you're not going to let me ride your chairlift? You're from Hawaii? Yeah. Really? I was there once. Oh yeah, where'd you go? Oh, I went to Maui. Oh, I live on Oahu. Oh, I want to visit there. And then you always think, they think they're going to come stay at your house for free. That's why you... <laughs> but it works. And we got on. Once I, I got myself, last summer, I got myself clear across the country on my, my, my city and county of Honolulu golf card ID. I'd gone surfing, and I always put 20 bucks and my car key and my driver's license in my trunks so I don't have to leave stuff in the car. Well, I left them in the trunks and just hung them out, and the next day I'm off to Oklahoma City to go preach at some deal. And I get to the airport, and I'm freaking out because I go in my wallet, and there's no driver's license. And so I call her. I don't know what to do. She's running home to try and get it. There's no time. And so I, I, I figure, well, it's Honolulu anyway. And so I can probably, enough people heard me on the radio, I can talk my way through this thing. And so I, I go, and I pull my golf cart out. Well, I mean, it's, it's Hawaii, right? So it's, that's valid. And I get all the way... <laughs> I get all the way to Oklahoma City on this stinking golf cart. I get through L.A. and everything. On the way home, I kind of come through Chicago. And I flip the golf cart out, and the lady goes, that's not a driver's license. <laughs> and so I start in. The sign says, picture ID. It's a picture ID. It's not a driver's license. It's a picture ID. Now we're down to, I want to talk to your supervisor. <laughs> and then I think, wait a minute. I go, see... I live in Honolulu. This is my Honolulu golf ID. <laughs> oh, you're from Hawaii? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Straight through. I mean, good night. This has nothing to do with the sermon. <laughs> the only place I ever went in the world where it didn't work is Mongolia. And, and it's because the Soviets controlled that country for so long, they have no view of the outside world. And you say Hawaii, it doesn't mean a darn thing to them. It just doesn't mean anything to them. But you know what? We, we live in a, in, a, in a beautiful place that's well-constructed, that's, that's worthy of honor. 
God wants your life to turn out that way. <laughs> Worthy of honor. Worthy of praise. There's a, there's a song that they used to sing way back in the early 80s about God made something beautiful of my life. God wants your life to be worth living. He really, 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 really does. That's what he's up to. That's what he wants of you, is this. He says, keep putting into practice the next few verses, the things that you saw in me, that you learned from me, that you heard me teach. What's he talking about? Well, he, you know, any, any pastor, see, any pastor ought to be able to say, I do stupid things like leave the cart at the grocery store once in a while because I'm human too. But any pastor ought to be able to say, basically, if I'm, 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 I'm transparent, I'm living it to the best of my ability, and I'll tell you where I'm not living it so well. So there's an honesty in the relationship. Paul says he's got that. So he says, the stuff you saw in me, the stuff you've learned from me, and Paul had anger management problems. You read about them in the Bible. And he says, but you see me getting there. That stuff you do. You live it out. You give it your best shot. I'm giving it my best shot. You give it your best shot. Now, just to wind this thing down, let me remind you what we talked about the very first week. Paul is in prison. He's been in the Roman prison system for three and a half years. He was arrested in Jerusalem on some goofy thing. You know, the Pharisees were like the Taliban. They thought he brought a Gentile into the Jewish temple, and they're trying to kill him. The Romans arrest him out of kindness to protect him. But then the the, the Pharisees are, are, are attacking so much they're actually trying to get him moved from one courtroom to another so they can kill him on the way and stuff like that. And, and then people are trying to get bribes out of him. They leave him in jail trying to hope that he'll come up with money. Finally he says, I appeal my case to the emperor just to get through the system. Well, the emperor is like the Supreme Court. And the nearest we know, Paul is writing a letter to his friends in Philippi. That's what the book of Philippians is. And he's been to the emperor today. And tomorrow the verdict will be handed down. And he has no idea, as he's writing this, will he be alive 24 hours from now, or will he be dead? Will he be set free, or will his head be severed from his shoulders? Because those are the two options. And, and he writes him this letter, and 12 times he says, Rejoice in the Lord, in this very short little letter. He tells him, Refuse to be intimidated by Satan. And that your refusal to be intimidated will be intimidation to him. But how do you do that? You rejoice in the Lord. You worship God over all things. You pray to God with your list of needs. You thank God for the things he's done. You fix your thoughts on these things, positive outcomes, the things that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you. And I want to leave it with you this morning. When you're, when you're struggling, you ask God and you expect an answer. God knows how to put his thought in your mind and you'll know it's his voice, not something you made up yourself. You know, you know the difference between when you're just thinking stuff and when there's something that's just a little extraordinary. It's God. And, you, and, and, and when you're sitting up in the middle of the night and you're struggling, you don't know what to make of life, you touch the hem of his coat and you expect him to do something. And when he begins to reveal a path and a pattern and an and a, and a, and a, and a end result that's acceptable to you, and you start to pray that, that baby into being, and we'll go from there. Is that good? Well, let's pray together. I want you to... Do what I like to do once in a while. We're going to pray out loud in unison. I'll pray a, a phrase and then you all say it out loud with me. God, my Father, I know you love me. I know you mean well. And you want my life to turn out as well as it could. I know that you have plans for me, a future for me, 
And you have hope for me. I want to learn to trust you with everything. Even the things that threaten me. Help me to do what we've talked about. To fix my thoughts on your outcomes. Lord, to focus my mind on your dreams for me. Help me. I can't do this alone. I need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.